Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. A few days ago, my friend Rob McKenzie, who's been a frequent uh, guest on this show, suggested I watch the TV show Severance and that I might have a few things to say about it and might be worth recording on it. My partner and I sat down at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and thought, let's watch an episode. Then we'll go back to the video game we're playing because we've been playing The Last of Us Part 2, getting ready for that next TV show. Well, nine hours, we finished the series, and I texted Rob and went, we are definitely recording on this because it is a show that brings up so much. So whether you've seen this show, whether you haven't seen the show, we're not going to do really a review. We're really just going to dive into it is a science fiction show that raises questions in the best tradition of science fiction, and we're going to dive into them, and I hope you're going to join us. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you right after this commercial break. That's probably from the Lumen Corporation. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. Uh, Rob, I don't know if my microphone picked it up, and so if the listeners can hear it or if you could hear it, but literally right after I said the words Lumen Corporation, there was a loud crack of thunder. So I, clearly our weather here in Minneapolis is trying to help me be uh, atmospheric. I, I could not hear it, but it would not surprise me because I'm getting the same thing here. So <laughs> Yes. Uh, I record with people from all around the world. Rob lives about six miles from me, so this is a little bit uh, easier in that regard. <laughs> well, Rob, let me just start by – I can't even summarize the show – uh, and I, I think we're not going to. As it, <laughs> th- Those who know the show will understand, I'm going to take all the parts of me that likes to talk about the acting and the dialogue and the writing and all that and kind of sever that away. And I'm only going to leave the parts of my brain that like to look at the ethical questions that are raised by a TV show. Yep. Um, I don't know if we'll have perfect severance. That's a, an interesting thing that we're not technologically at yet, but we're going to try. And for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, I promise we're going to explain what the world yes. of the show is all about. Uh, and there will be lots of spoilers for it. So if, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to recommend you hit stop and go watch it. Like I said, it can basically take like – you can do it like you know one or two episodes a week. Uh-huh. I think the best way to do it is to just binge the whole I, thing. So I I got to the show because I was re-watching um, – I was I was rewatching a different show and I was looking through the actors and actresses and I saw that the actress from it uh, from um, Dollhouse was on this show and I was like oh I haven't seen her in a while what, what she, she was on Severance okay this sounds kind of interesting I'm gonna watch it and I sat down to watch an episode and then I like couldn't do anything else while yeah. watching the episode it just absorbed me and it was electric. I was like, yeah. I, I like, I was like, I plan to just watch an episode here and there for a little while, and sometimes I'll pick up and put down shows, and I, I'm not very good about finishing them. I was wrapped for for this, and I could not like, I finished it over the course of I think three days because I did not have the time. Every yeah. moment was filled with it, and Ruth watched my my wife watched about um watched about five minutes over my shoulder with my headphones on and she's like what is this i need to watch this show yeah. um and then so she, so she had the same thing and she watched it in about two days uh, i don't i'm not going to start the old bingeable versus episodic debate because i understand both sides in that yeah it's a whole can of worms it's t- it's technically possible but, to watch this once a week well I, I know that that's the thing is i know it came out originally once mm-hmm. a week and i have no idea how people sustained that i would have gone crazy because yeah, i just, right like you said oh no yeah no it but <laughs> it dragged me forward because the 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 pacing and it, like mm-hmm. we we didn't want to talk about review so yeah just 
uh, the the thing is that it asks big questions. The yeah. big spoiler for the show, and they, they introduce this really early, is you have the ability to sever yourself so that your memories, uh, you build, uh, you you take a part of your mind, and when you are, you, they put a chip in your brain. And while that chip is active, you lose all of your personal continuity memories, all of your history. You start fresh. Uh, you remember things like, they ask questions like, What's the first state that you can remember? And uh, the the person says Delaware, which is the first state. It's I think I assume that this is a joke, mm-hmm. uh, but the she doesn't remember anything. They ask her, "What's your name?" I don't know. What was your? Uh, do you remember your mother? No. Right. Right. And the the they they get into the fact that the severed people because they're physically in an office right they consider their work so highly secure that they can't carry any memory of their work outside of it right and so they they're severed away and those people have only the continuity of their work time the elevator closes and the elevator opens and yeah. they don't remember going home or sleeping or anything it's just continuous time in an office, and the only guiding principle you have is your HR manual. <sighs> and, and it's set up in a very interesting way because, you know, like the first question would be, well, why would anyone want to do this? And they really suggest that there are two kind of big reasons why a person would want to do this going from either direction. Because the, the, the mm-hmm. point of the show is that we spend most of the time with these four people who have all been severed. And they're all working in this Lumen office in a incredibly just dis- like 1984 as told by minimalist dystopianism so it's these four people they're in this kind of dystopian 1984 meets it, it's kind of 1984 meets dilbert without yep. all the horrible things that the dilbert author we now know believed in but um of just office cubicle hell yep. and the idea is that people would get severed for for either direction that it might be that you accept that you have to work in office cubicle hell office cubicle hell and you just don't want to have to do that and it apparently started in part with a quote that was uh, made uh, I think by one of the writers or the writer found this but where they're talking about like working someone had been working in an office like that and they said sometimes I wish I could just disassociate for eight hours and not yeah. have to remember those eight hours I just do office drudgery Yeah. so that's one reason why someone might want to do it the other reason might be that you've had some horrible thing in your life outside of work that you just want to have some period in your life where you're not thinking about it. And and one of our main characters is someone who over the course of the show, we find out his wife died in a tragic accident. Uh, it was a driving thing. He feels partially responsible. And so during those eight hours of work, he doesn't know that happened and he gets that freedom from it. Well, but he doesn't though. That's the, th- that's the thing that gets me is that logically it makes it worse. Yeah, because the the other half of this is if you are the outside, they call them the innies, the people who live inside the mm-hmm. building, and the outies, the people who live outside, it within the same head, the same body. As an outie, you get in the elevator to go down, and it closes and it opens, and your whole eight hour day has gone by. You right. don't have any memories, and the thing that allows you to get get separation from pain from your history is your memories. You build up a continuity of experience that rubs the edges off of it. So it means you're like 50% of your awake time is lost to work. Yeah. And so it makes the recovery take longer. 
it longer, and it's also that each time you have to remember it all over again. I mean, I think one of the core ideas of the show is that there's all these promises that are made about how good this can be, but that once we see the people who have actually done it, it's actually quite horrific. Yeah. But then, of course, none of them remember how horrific it is. And so one of the running storylines is that a couple of them are trying to find ways to let the people outside know. And there's a lot of sort of stuff that happens around that. Yeah. And then we also find out more about how awful the corporation itself is. And, and I think as a way of kind of structuring this conversation, I want to first kind of talk about this idea in the abstract and then talk about how it goes in – in the actual way it's presented. Um, does that work for you before? Yeah. Is there any other kind of part of the setup? Yeah, that works so, great. So first, before we go into like how it actually happens in the show, from a science fiction perspective, like I feel like this is the kind of, this is exactly the kind of thing yeah. that science fiction loves to explore. Yep. Like, what if we had a technology that could do something weird that would would it help? What do you think of a technology that would say when you get to work? You, those eight hours, it's going to be someone else doing the work, and then you just you go and you're back, and basically all humans have a sixteen hour day where you don't have to think about what you did to make the sixteen hour the rest of the other sixteen right. hours of the day possible. And it's it's a logical conclusion of NDAs, right? It is yep. what what big companies, a lot of them, would optimally love is your work time belongs entirely to them. Yeah. And that is that is what they what they philosophically say a lot of the time anyways, right? Anything produced on work time and work hours is theirs. Yeah. And that is their time. And so it's somebody taking the logical the logical next step on that, right? The logical argument is if that's their time, well that's their time. You don't even remember that time. Right? Yeah. And somebody's saying, Well, what if there's a technology that let a company do this? They do it, like in a heartbeat. Right, the Googles and the Facebooks and the the NSA, right? They would be all yeah. over this. Uh, the the Lockheed Martins of the world would love nothing more than not let you know about their rocket designs when you're at home. And and on some level, I get that. Like in like I think part of what makes this so powerful and also is kind of so scary is that so much of, like yeah, there's a kernel of yeah, I understand why that would be wanted. Yeah, like and this is just a very limited example, but uh, both you and I have in different ways. Uh, are involved in the Magic the Gathering community, mm-hmm. uh, and we spend our time with lots of people who have lots of thoughts about what's happening with Magic. Yep. Both you and I, because of different professional relationships, have at times had more information than most of the people we were talking mm-hmm. to and not been allowed to share that information. Yes. Or not been allowed to comment on. Like, yep. for example, for me, and I, I'm fine with this, but like part of the thing I signed was is that for a certain amount of time after I left, I wouldn't be openly critical mm-hmm. of, of the company. A standard so, non-disparagement clause, right? Yeah. yeah. And so when all this stuff happened around Dungeons & Dragons that Wizards was trying to do, I had a lot of thoughts on that that I wanted to jump into as a content creator. Yep. But that, A, I had knowledge that I, I couldn't share and shouldn't share, but also just I'd signed this thing. And so, like, yeah, there's a part of me that I think it would be great to cut all that off. But, of course, there's all kinds of problems. Yeah. The 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 high level problem that they talk about in the show a lot is that continuity of experience that any it starts at the time that you wake up after you're severing, right? Right. And so, are they a person? They have all they're like an amnesiac, right? A classic a classic you know right. film trope amnesiac that doesn't remember their previous life, and so they they have nothing. 
right? They don't remember their name. They're given, they're told a name, that mm-hmm. and that name happens to match up to their to their Audi name, but it doesn't have to. Right. They can be anything. They're they're a fresh. And even there, it's, yeah. They're given the first name plus last initial. Yeah, first name plus last initial, and it's not all. And it's demonstrated it's not accurate for one of the characters, right? Yes. And so that they they got an abbreviated version of the name, right? Yeah. And it's actually possible that you that they all have abbreviated that. Like Mark, the the protagonist, he, uh, he he could be Marcus, and right. and go by Mark. And so, like, I I joke about at my work that I have a work sona, right? My mm-hmm. my name in Active Directory at work is Robert, and right. so I know when somebody calls me Robert that they are somebody that knows me through work, because that's yeah. what my my close work people, the ones that I work with absolutely every day, right next to me, call me Rob, but like. The people that I talk to all over throughout the company call me Robert. And that's right. what this is. This is the ultimate work sona, right? When yeah. they shed they shed this this skin of their outside world and go inside the, the machine. And they, they talk about how the, this they, it, that person has continuity of experience, right? Mm-hmm. For the time that they're working. And they they are only alive when they're at work. Yeah. And, and and there's even again, it, it I try to make that separation. Mm-hmm. It can be so hard to talk about, it, but I think that it helps illustrate these things. In one in one situation that we'll get into in a bit, one of the characters wants to quit and wants yep. to stop being severed. And one of the points that's made against it is, are you murdering your Emmy? Yeah, because yeah, then this other person with all these experience will cease to exist. Yeah, and it's it, it's kind of a Tuvix situation for anyone who remembers Star yeah. Trek Voyager mm-hmm. of like this new life that's been created, but is it? And I, I think in many ways, what, what what drew me most to it is how much what they're doing is it's really kind of a great commentary on the sort of again like the anonymization of work yes. in this country, you know, because. Yep. Um, part of the point of it is, yeah, it's that instead of saying, how do we make work better? It's how do we just so thoroughly accept that work is going to be so meaningless and pointless and terrible that will allow you to just forget it. Yeah. It seems like it's, it's, and and some of the things that are so brilliant about it is that they do the, like, you know, the, the joke that that's in a lot of, especially labor organizing circles is like, you know, when the company knows that. You know, instead of offering you a raise or worker safety, they'll offer you a pizza party. Yep. And here in this, they have those things. It's like you get, you know, a melon a party, fin- a waffle party, an egg party, a waffle. Yep. Which turns out, an egg- a waffle party is about a lot more than waffles. Oh man, um, that waffle party is a weird, weird thing. I was not expecting it. Like I was expecting more of the melon party, right? Yeah. And then yeah. it's like a, like a cultic sex dance. What it like. It, so I actually read an analysis that we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But, but just here's a way of framing it that I wanted to throw out at you. Is this show positing basically the exact polar opposite idea of the work future that Star Wars Next Generation does? Star Trek The Next Generation? Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. I, I mix those up all the time. So could you follow me here? Yeah. In Star Trek, the whole idea is that technology will have gotten to the point – that basically drudge work is no longer needed. That yeah. no one has to work for survival. That And so therefore everyone can pursue the interests that they really love without worrying about is this going to be profitable enough or not. Mm-hmm. Here, this is the exact opposite. This is 
you are so divorced from any possibility of any career fulfillment, any personal fulfillment at work, any degree of the relationships you build at work mattering in any way. Yeah. That you're just going to be set. Like, did, do you see what I mean there? Yes. About oh, the absolutely. Opposite? The, it, well, and especially considering that the only thing that you are giving when you are severed, the absolute only thing that you give up is time. Right. Because when you when you sever and your personal continuity of experience is broken, skills that you build on the outside and skills that you build on the inside do not transfer. Right. One of the things that's notable, like in in a normal work world, is I have I have a work skill set. Right, that I do for my day job, and then I've got like we talked about magic judging. That's a different skill set, and I can use those to complement each other to go apply for a new job. And I can say I have these yeah. skills from work and these skills from my job, and I've built these two sets of skills, and I can combine them together. To, and you can take, you can pick and choose, and what things. Right, everybody's a lot more complicated than one set of skills in the real right. world. But and, and it, in a real world, not only are yeah. they transferable about jobs, but you can transform them to other parts of your life. Yeah, you know, Rob, right. Robin. You and your partner organize a gaming weekend retreat yep. for our friends every weekend. Yep. And you have a great organizational approach to those that I'm sure yep. in part was shaped by the organizational work you do for magic right. and for work and stuff like that. Right. And so like her spreadsheet skills, because Ruth's an accountant, is uh, like is leveraged in that sheet that we built, right? Right. And in Severance, it's saying the uh, you are we do not care about your skills. We genuinely – it does not matter, Right. And what we care about is your time. The only thing you are giving up when you are severed is time. Right. And like in Star Trek, you do the work that you need to do, right? They're, they're a post-scarcity society. They're, you only do work that you feel is meaningful, that you feel does, like fulfills you in some way, right? right? And where in this, the work is, like you're saying, completely divorced from any sense of purpose or fulfillment. And you are obligated to give your time to the machine, it does not matter if it's good time, bad time, anything else. And the job, it, it, like, they all talk about on the outside. They're like, well, I, the, the work there must be meaningful. I do something in records, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so, it's, so, um, it's so important that they can't let me know anything about it. And meanwhile, on the inside, they have an unfalsifiable job, and they don't realize it. Like, nobody, mm -hmm. nobody brings this means. up. So they, they're sorting numbers, right? They're looking at this big field of numbers, and when some numbers feel scary, they box them and put them in a – they collect them and put them in a box, right? Yep. If the computer knew what the right numbers to take were, they would be entirely obsolete, right? Right. So the computer can't double-check them. It, it doesn't know what's right or wrong, which means that their work can't be, can't be double-checked by anybody but themselves. And so what they could do is just pick arbitrary numbers. Their their whole yeah. schema is based on them having some kind of super supernatural knowledge about which numbers are important when it's literally just a field of random numbers. Yeah. And in the one scene where the one where the one new where the one new worker is learning about this, they all stand over her shoulder. She's like I can see it. I can box these numbers. She boxes them. And she collects them, like circles them, and puts them in this box. And no one comments if she's right or wrong. No yeah. one says perfect. No one says exactly those. Nobody says you grab too many. Right? The first time that you do something, you're never going to do it perfectly. But no one says a thing. Yeah. Her job is unfalsifiable. Right? 
it, so unfalsifiable means no one can say you're wrong. No yeah, it, 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 yeah. In, in, science, in science, falsification is the ability to disprove a hypothesis, right? If, mm, if I right. say, that it, like Galileo says that two objects that are that are different weights fall at the same time, you can check that. That hypothesis is falsifiable, right? And they can't say if their work is right or wrong. There's no double check on them. Right. And it is wild. The job is inherently meaningless. Nobody questions it because they don't know to question it because it's their entire life. Right. And then again, as I think such a great metaphor, because here, what well, as far as we can tell, there is no actual thing. There's no thing that's happening as a correlation to what they're doing. Yep. But they all and, and but there is some theory that there is, and I'm going to get into that. Right. Some, some writers have done some great analysis of what it yep. could be, but. In extent, like they all start to wonder about that, and they wonder, like, are we? It's kind of they have an Ender's Game kind of a question, where you know, like in Ender's Game, the whole point is to get these kids to play the game, where they don't realize that they are actually doing the war, yep. because the human brain would just like, it, it, like, the human brain is going to have trouble pushing the button that means the extinction of another species. Yep. So you get someone to do it without knowing. And so there's all the, they start having all these theories kick around. And I think it's another thing it's a great commentary of is that not only do most of us, you know, carry the stuff from our work back into our normal lives. Hopefully, if you do things that you really feel fulfilled by, that's a positive thing. Right. But in our fairly dystopian society and economy, and I, I feel very privileged that I've not had this happen much, but I know many others do, mm-hmm. you know, many people work for corporations that they don't really like what they're doing. And they know that they might be yeah. just pushing paper, but the paper they're pushing is helping to build, you know, pipelines across tribal lands, or is or helping to fund, build, you know, weapons for for a, of war. Right? You go yeah. to work for an arms manufacturer because their benefits are very good, yeah. right? Or or is just you know you're just the data pusher that you realize the data that you're doing is what allows Amazon to figure out how to. Make its yep. workers, you know, what what other benefits they can cut to get their workers to be even more efficient. You yep. know, it's all this stuff, and we know that like a lot of mental illness, a lot of uh, people harming themselves and unaliving themselves can be traced to, you know, guilt, e- either lack of satisfaction with work, all the way up to feeling really deeply guilty about the work that they're doing. And again. So much of this feels like a surrender. You know, it yes. feels like the perfect capitalist win of yep. if the problem is that the human emotion – the human emotion cannot tolerate the capitalist – like being a cog in the system, you know, because that's the whole point. Like yeah. as a person, you don't want to be a cog. The way to do that is to utterly remove human emotion to just make humanity a cog because, yeah, yeah the, the, the cog doesn't care – that the when it's slamming down on metal, the metal is going to be shaped into yep. a gun or into a, a cooking pot. It doesn't care. Yep. And the, this, like the idea of who is responsible, then right? Like right. I volunteered my myself to be severed, right? And I do that eight hours a day working for making, you know, as a cog making guns, right? Right. And then that. Or I, or I make something that is, you know, I, we make something that turns out to to har, to accidentally harm people, and we could have caught it, you know. It's a right. cook it's a cooking pot, and it turns out that the metal was impure, and it leaches in, and it poisons people, right? Right. And so then they come back and they say, who's responsible? 
they put you on trial for for you know not catching this. You you are criminally negligent. Like normally, right. you can put a person on trial for criminal negligence, right? You you did this thing that is that is, you you should have known better, and you had training to tell you to know better, and you knew what the consequences were for you not doing it, and then you just didn't check the metal content. You just yeah. you just blew it off. You were like, whatever, I don't care. I'm lazy today. It's not worth it. And so you get pulled up and put on trial, right? And then you get sent to prison. How is prison any different, right? Yeah. Because you're who, probably now right back into some kind of prison industrial labor thing. Right. Something that's just as awful. Well, and, and also who's responsible? I, I volunteered. I'm the Audi, right? I volunteered to be severed. My innie, uh, am I responsible for their actions, right? Right. They blew off the, they blew off the safety checks. Now, do I go to jail? Well, especially my, because one of the, I think, most interesting moments, and this comes at the very end, yeah. and again here, this is big spoilers, yeah, is yeah. that you realize that one of the major characters, Henny, actually is, like, her Audi is horrid. Her yeah. Audi is one of the people who is, she's the daughter of the founder of this whole thing. Yep. Helly, um, yeah. Helly, thank you. Yeah, we're going to get to her character in a second. Yep. Let me just close on the kind of purely theoretical part by asking you this. Is there an ethical way to do this technology? Because I... Like, one thing that I both love but am sometimes frustrated by with science fiction is when you su- you show me a technology with the idea of this could be good, this could be bad, but then you tell me that there's a nefarious corporation that has evil motivations behind why they're doing this, corp- this, this technology, which is great and makes a great story. And maybe that's the point of the story is that you couldn't have a technology like this without it being driven by some horrible corrupt corporation. But, like... To, to try, you know, to trolley problem it, to get yeah. that question in the abstract, it, it, could this technology be ethically neutral? Yeah. So, I could, like, you could easily come up with a story where they they sever themselves because they work with something that they don't want to leak out, right? Right. Let's say that you, that you are concerned about things man is not meant to know, right? Either right. because you're working with, you know, elder gods and you're afraid that the madness will leak out or you are concerned that – you will discover some secret of the universe that you want to be able to compartmentalize, right? I, I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Yeah. The people who have to uh, – the people at like Facebook and Twitter and things like that who spend all day looking at the horrible, horrible posts that get reported. Sure, yeah. Um, it, moderators. And so like it, yeah. it, it, the, the, the people who – yeah, the people who look at – the the people who submit you know torture porn and whatever right, right. and uh, to into Facebook Th- those moderators might want to never remember that the, the ethical question there is a different one which is you've created a new being right they they talk about this in the show that that right. person is a separate distinct because they're a separate set of experience they're a separate personality they're a separate person uh, from the way that everybody treats them well you've created them. And then subject them to this constantly, right? Right, and that's a good like the the you're looking at horrible images that destroy your mind eight hours a day. You've created a separate part of yourself to manage that, but then you've created that other person and subjected it to them without their volunteering, like right. And, and you've done it in such a way that you not only will you never have to know how horrible the images were, but you'll never have to know how much that person's in pain, right? Exactly. And so, like, unless they, like, do something physically to themselves, because that's the other thing is physical things will carry up. You get a you get a banged knuckle. You get a cut on your hand. You – whatever. That passes up or down, right? And, like – but you you could phrase it as a purely good thing, right? Not just, like, you're subjecting them to these ethical problems, but you're, like, 
um, you're working on you're working on something something else that'll that'll screw up your mind. You volunteered for it, and then you train in the the other half of the mind and let them volunteer for it as well, and say yeah. that hey, if we discover things that man were not was not meant to know, we can be unplugged and we won't know, and nobody will know. You could create this as a story and make these ethically like good people that are doing this is a good thing. The volunteer problem is a volunteer problem, right? right. They, you have to be able to, that, that severed part of your mind has to be able to say no. Everything is based on consent and whether or not they're a person, which yeah. you, they cannot refuse in the show, which is, I think, the biggest ethical problem that the show has. Uh, or the, 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 from, the show, from the show's perspective, this is good, this is a good tension thing, and the, the corporation it, it says that legally innies aren't people. They cannot yeah. make the decision about whether or not to work. And, and here I think we can start getting into the, the yeah. show itself and the characters because I think yep. uh, to me that they're all phenomenal. Yeah. But the one I find the most sort of ethically interesting is Henny. Um, Helly. To get yeah. Helly. Thank you. I know what, yeah. Um, and I think her. She's the one I think you're talking about. Her nickname. I, I want to say her full name is Helvetica. It's not that. It's like. Hel- uh, it is. It is Helen something. Helena, maybe? Uh, it is um, Helena. Right, Helena, okay. Um, I don't know why I go to Helvetica, but, you know, anyway. The point being, she's the one who is she, – uh, she's kind of our the new per- – you know, the new character. Yep. If, if there's a name for this trope, but where, like, a new person gets introduced, so you can have lots of exposition as they're learning everything. Yep. And she just cannot adjust, and she's really yeah. fighting against it, and to the point where she makes numerous attempts to tell her Audi that she wants to quit. Yes. Uh, even at one point trying to – because basically, like, I mean, if the innie dies, the Audi dies. If the innie gets its yep. fingers cut off, the Audi gets its fingers cut off. And so she, she tries yep. to literally do those things, and in each case, the Audi comes back and says, no, you cannot do that, and threatens her and says, if you try to do that again – you know, I'm going to make sure these terrible things happen to you. Well, she doesn't and, say, I'm going to make sure these terrible things happen to you. Her threat is, I will keep you alive for a very long time. Yeah. And that's uh, when you know that your any does not want to be alive. That is a that is a powerful thing to say to them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Especially because what we see in the office is that, again, because the innies aren't technically alive and therefore they have no rights – I mean, they, they are literally tort. It is psychological, not physical torture. Because yep. again, the Audis won't like. I guess here's the thing: what I'm kind of curious about, because everything I know about brain chemistry says this would be almost impossible. Yeah. But basically, you're triggering a situation where the innie will have severe PTSD, but the Audi won't. Um, yeah. Which is that's a whole chemistry thing that's fascinating. That I don't well, really know enough about physiology to I, know. I, I, like but, the severing, severing doesn't work for, on a physical perspective because of the way that our memories are stored. Anyways, our short-term right. memories are stored electrically, and our long-term are stored chemically. You would need, the severing process is surgery only makes loose sense. What it, you're, what they had to be turning on is a decoder that writes encrypted RNA. Right, and right. that actually means that the that the rejoin process that they talk about can't work. That uh, that right. you can't join ever join the two because what it is, it's an encryption chip that actually encrypts your RNA. That it's that's long term memory storage. Right. That's the but it, like you would also lose all of your other non uh, non linear memories if you if you couldn't right. access the it, you like, forget it, language, you forget how to yeah. walk. You, you, right. And and so yeah, and like in all science fiction, there's a level of you just have to accept. The scientific leap that's been created. Yeah. And the show is very good, so you don't have any trouble with that. That's kind of an aside. Yeah. But 
Yeah, let's talk about her character more because I think this is yeah. the one where it, it's not coincidental. I think it's brilliant writing that the innie is fighting against it the most. And then as we find out, the Audi is – because we find out is that the Audi is the daughter of this and she volunteered specifically as a way to be like, look, I did it. It's not so bad. Yeah, as a public relations campaign. And that's right. the, the – one of the things that, they, that the show tries to demonstrate is the thing that leaks back and forth is strength of character. Right. Yeah. Is is the, the 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 foundational bedrock of who you are as a person. And so she is an arrogant social climber on the outside. Right. Right. And on the inside, she's not allowed to do that. There's no prospects for advancement. Right. And she does not want to be constrained by this artificial world where she will only ever meet seven people. Right. Right. And so she she wants the only the only control she wants to take is the one control that she can't have, which is to end what's going on. And so she's right. a she's a control freak in both in both places, right? And so she, I, I would say that the any control freak seems pretty strong for what I think is a very like natural desire to have any control. But I get your point that her well, her it, desire to her frustration yeah. at not being able to control her situation it's. It makes sense that it would be worse for her than it is for everyone else. Right. And the, the she she doesn't have a Gandhi-esque work stoppage kind of like brain. She thinks that the only way to have control of the situation is to actively engage with it and control it. Right. right. So she could sit at the computer and refuse to work. Right. But she doesn't. She could just do nothing. Right. And what are they going to do? They can't – there's no physical punishment that they can do to her, right? right? Because it would leak up to the outside. And she would just say, all right, I'm just going to sit and stare at a wall for eight hours. And she doesn't. Instead, she learns the job and learns to work in part because the other people in the department, the other three people, that's what they do. And that's what humans do is they, they kind of go along with the social mores of the group that they're in, yeah. right? Nobody – like they, they all have to get together in order to be revolutionary, and, and they again play on this. And again, this incredibly well done sort of, you know, screwing with someone's mind that the punishment they do is basically taking them to this dark room where they have to read an apology about how sorry they are that they yep. let down everyone. You know, it's very yep. much this like it, – it's communalism in the most abusive, disturbing way where it's you're going to want to conform because everyone else is doing this thing. Yep. And if you get out of line, we're going to make you feel guilty yeah, it, well, it's religious. In a, it, like a lot of it is, has strong religious overtones. You were going to yeah. say the rosary until you believe it. Right, is how that felt Very to much me. So. Right, yeah. and it's and the like. No, you must say the exact words. You can't actually talk about the depth of feeling that you have. You must say these exact words until you believe these exact words. Or until I feel confident and, that you believe these exact words. Well, it's not even them. Again, with the technology, they have them hooked up to a lie detector kind of thing that, in theory, can test their sincerity. Yeah. And and she claims to have kind of beaten it by lying. But but let's get to so, – so that's her innie. We then jump back and we learn that her Audi is doing all these horrible things. And, and let's kind of look at – because my understanding is that the Audi – like it's one thing if you tell yourself that I th I honestly believe that this technology is 
ethical and right. And it's mm-hmm. then that the innies have a great time, and I'm going to show that. But one thing that we know, and, and like the show doesn't make this explicitly clear, but you, the pieces are all there for you to put this together, is that we know that the Audi knew how much the innie was suffering. The Audi had like dealt with having a bruise on her neck from when the innie tried to unalive herself with rope. Well, it, well we, not just that. She felt it because the way that the like warning for uh, warning for self harm here. Right. The the actual process that she uses is she she takes a computer power cord and uh, attempts to hang herself in the elevator, right, mm. on the way up to be to turn back into her Audi. Right, so she turns back in the middle of it happening. Right, so her Audi gets to feel that process. It isn't just she wakes up with a bruise. Yeah, it's no, you, she wakes you. up being hung. So, so we know, but yet we get to the point where they're at this gala. So the Audi is fully ready to say that it's not a big deal, it's not a problem. She is the one person among all the people she's working mm-hmm. with who knows absolutely that's a lie. Yeah. They, viscerally, right? Yeah. She's gotten notes and videos and uh, it, like physical threats of self-harm and then actual attempts to self-harm. And then her response is what they did is they took all of their panopticon surveillance and then showed only the good bits, right? Yeah. The bits where she is being happy. Or finding mm-hmm. what kind of happiness she can in the situation, right? And it is—it's one of those you can edit if you have if you have every, uh, six months of someone's life, you can edit them to look like whatever you want, right? Yeah, it's the trick of reality TV. You can you can build a, a plot from nowhere just from people talking in a house, even right. if they're really bad at having any kind of structure or coherence or anything, right? You can make anyone the villain, you can make anyone the hero, yep. depending on what you do and don't show. Right, exactly. And so, that's what they do. They just, we're going to edit this. And it is appalling, right? Yeah. That, like, knowing what you do from the perspective of having built all this time building empathy for the any Heli, and then seeing what her Audi actually wants out of the situation is... Right. Like it, it is when you get to that bit in the in the ninth episode, you're like, oh, you are you are the villain. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's really powerful because so much of what the show is about is about compassion. Yes. About when it does and doesn't happen and how yeah. the innies build compassion for each other. And so much of what they're trying to do is based on an idea of if you knew how much I was suffering – you would have sympathy and make it stop. Yes. And as someone who's a polit- political organizer and activist and social justice organizer yep. and activist, I've been so for 25 years, this is often one of the hardest things for people to recognize is I think often there's this sense of like, if we just tell people how much this oppressed group is suffering, then they're going to want to make it stop yep. because compassion is always going to win out. And I think that it should, but I think the lessons of history are that often – we it is very easy for the human mind and even more so for human communities when they're in this kind of like let's all go along to get along kind of way yep. to find ways to either rationalize it away that oh they're not really suffering that or to say that you know oh they are suffering but it's their own choices if they didn't mm-hmm. make those choices they would suffer or that their suffering is acceptable towards this larger good yeah um and you know I. 
we're going to be talking about the show, but like I'm, I'm saying this all on Trans Day of Remembrance at yep. a time when like all those things are happening in, the, in that particular community. But you can apply that to any community, you know, yep. I think. And and in some ways, I think what the show is doing is just saying it about office workers in general. You know, if you just listen to all the conversations that happened around, you know, the Great Resignation in 2019 or, you yep. know, the why can't I find anyone to work? It often feels like there's just such a fundamental lack of compassion that people have right. of not understanding why all this is going on. Right. And it, like the – Large media uh, is – some of them are okay, but many of them are complicit in doing this to office workers. And like like you said, this yeah. is marginalized groups in general. They're using office workers because everybody can kind of like get it, right? Yeah. But this is not – this isn't a show about office workers. You could call this a workplace drama, right? If you wanted to, to inaccurately describe a show to somebody, this is a workplace drama about people that sort numbers. Which I will just say, when you first suggested it, I, I've heard people yeah. talk about severance. I've much more heard people talk about succession. Oh. <laughs> and I got the two mixed up. And I was like, that seems like an odd thing for the science fiction friend of mine to want to talk about. But yeah. sure. Yeah. I haven't gotten enough Shonda Rhimes in my life. I'm ready yeah. for this. Let's it's do it. It's fine. Uh, I've heard really good things about succession. I haven't watched yeah. it. But like, I watched <laughs> this show and I was like, this, this was like a bolt of lightning in my spine. And it was like... Either Matthew is going to say this show is isn't me, or is going to be in the same mode. <laughs> well, and so here's here's a meta thing that I think is fascinating: is that so much of the show is it is about that sort of horrible part of corporate America and, and corporate in general, but especially yeah. here in America, where where it is everything is very anonymous and scrubbed yep. clean and yep. the aesthetic is super and, and a number of people pointed out like this aesthetic will look very familiar if you've walked into an Apple store. Yep. And also that there's this huge cult of personality that I think not only is borders on religion but is quite religious. It is religious. Towards the founder of this yeah. company. Yeah. The, one of the people has a, a little a shrine. shrine to him. Yeah. Kyrie Egan which – the last person I remember where that really happened was, was a guy named Steve Jobs. Yeah. So my question is, why the hell is this on Apple TV? Well, that's, <laughs> man, like... there's so many, there are so many shows that are like that. Like, why is The Boys on Amazon, right? Yeah. That's, like, yeah, that's actually, that's another good one. Yeah. Or, or Invincible. Like, both of those yeah. are on Amazon. Why? What? <laughs> like, and so the boys who haven't seen it, by the way, is basically about the Amazonification of superheroes. Of superheroes, yeah. yeah. And so, like, they, it, these it, 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 because these companies they aren't guided by a principle of like doing things that make them look good or self-preservation. They're guided by what makes the almighty dollar, right? Well, and so here I have two theories. Two theories. One cynical. One a little bit happy. The happy theory is that, again, like because we can't sever workers yet, some of the people involved are kind of like, look, how much can we critique our bosses without our bosses noticing? You know, yeah. and like that's been going on for, I mean, for all time. Or, or they have some boss that's also on the same page and shields them, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that, again, like you wish you could sever that boss, but you can't. And that's why this boss will let them do it. Mm -hmm. Or, but the flip side of it being like, Propaganda has often always involved like, oh, hey, yeah, we'll we'll take some punches. Like, we'll put yeah. out something that's critical of us so that you think 
that you don't notice all the other things that we're suppressing that are yeah. much See, more critical. Of we, us. We, we're critical about ourselves here. That means you can trust us over there. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so that's a whole other kind of dystopian thinking that in our own world. Right. And I'd be curious to hear people's speculations of which side is happening here. But it was just the degree to which it was not only like big corporate business in general, but Apple specific. That was so yeah. baffling to me. Well, and the, the, the design elements of the show uh, to get back into review territory are top notch. The yeah. I'm, a, I'm a mechanical keyboards geek. And when they when they panned over to the keyboards for the first time on their terminals, I, w- I paused it and I was like, I recognize this keyboard. Yeah. Right. This is modeled on um, the, 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 the Dasher, which is a, a famous terminal keyboard from the 1970s and 80s. And mm-hmm. I was like, I wonder, did they use off-the-shelf keycaps? Because you can buy keycaps nowadays that match it. Yeah. And I went and looked, and as it turns out, uh, so the funniest part of the first episode was when I get to the end of the episode, and it says, directed by Ben Stiller. And all the tension from this t- this tight like episode, I just laughed and laughed and laughed. I was like, Ben Stiller <laughs> directed this. Well, it turns out he knows how to run a show. And yeah. then people tweeted at Ben Stiller. They're like, hey, these keycaps don't match the commercial ones that are made that are that are mm-hmm. from the Dasher. And he goes, oh, we made our own custom keycaps and you cannot buy them. Yeah. <laughs> and so and, key, and like, they, they understand these details, right? <laughs> and so much, and they, they say at one point that the technology is this way to sort of comfort people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's it's like cathode ray monitors. They're not flat yep. screen. Yep. The technology is not really Windows. It's like a mouse over just text on a screen. Um, no one has cell phones or any kind of devices like that. It's yep. all very old school. Yeah. Um, and let's talk more about the founder and and again here I, I'm not Egan. yeah yeah because it's not just review but I, I think this is important again because going to what's the show saying about religions and cults you talked about how it um, didn't all it didn't it, on the surface it does not really seem to make sense until you really do some deep digging as yep. to where what they're doing with the data yeah it's still not explained but and you may have picked up on this but let me just share it with the readers yeah. with the listeners because I didn't pick up on this until I read this incredible article it's called 20 burning severance questions we have after that <laughs> finale it's by nicole gallucci i think it's on um mashable.com sure. i'll share it it looks very much like it's just a like you know click like a little thing. listicle right yeah but it actually but it draws some great connections that i hadn't realized i'm just going to read from it um so first of all one of the things that we find uh, – I'm, I'm going to read some parts, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to paraphrase here. Uh, so one of the things we learn about Kyrie Ky- Egan is that his statue explains that there are four tempers that define human beings. Yep. The four they humors. Are, but yeah, yeah. Yep. They're woe, frolic, dread, and malice. Yes. Um, and this was all like from eagle-eyed red people who like posted and found it. In that computer thing, they're dropping uh, the numbers into four boxes. Yes. Which have the numbers, which have the letters on them, W-O for woe, F-C for frolic, D-R for dread, and M-A for malice. Yeah. So already that's part of the connection. And then here I'm just going to read this paragraph about the waffle party that you described. Yes. As noted above, the party features people in masks that resemble the four tempers that Bert and Ivy meet cute painting. So there, there's a two other characters who are these two yep. older men – who are, it turns are interested. Yes, I don't know if they're gay or bi, but they're interested in each other, and they have a, a budding romance, which I'll comment on in a second. Um, but they kind of meet over a painting that has these same four, and it's two women, a jester, and a horned goat slash ram. Mm-hmm. Going back to reading, 
They dance in front of the refiner of the quarter, who also wears a mask of Kier and sits on Kier's bed with a cat of nine tails whip that has nine core principles yes. painted on each tail. Vision, verve, wit, cheer, humility, benevolence, nimbleness, probity, and wiles. And to me, that's when a show truly becomes incredible, when it, it seems like a lot of the show is incredibly absurdist. But instead of like everything that seems absurdist has a point. Yes. You know? And when I when I put all that together from reading it, and other people may put it together from watching it or from their own research, I was just like Okay, so we're going so deep here on everything is pointing towards this religious ideology yes. that this guy has. That he's pulling everyone into. Yeah, and the the cure, he like they have hymns to him, right? Mm -hmm. And when they go up the the manual that's on the wall, they have it in a little nook, right? And he pulls it off the wall, and it's printed on the same paper that you get from a Bible, right? That super thin, yeah, it, like. And so they're, they're working hard to make it clear that they have constructed a religion inside of this this yeah. building. And the priests do not believe. And that's clear because – so there's the, – the, the managers are not severed, right? Mm -hmm. And they know the outside and they know the inside. But the question is, Milchik, what is he? Right. He's, Milchik, for those who don't know, he's the – He's the kind of supervisor of them. Mm -hmm. But really, th as you point out, he never looks at their work. He's just looking at how well they're interacting with each other. Right. He rewards them. He gives them like the waffle parties, yep. the, the jazz and, dance party. Right. He, he, does, he never reviews their work. He is a manager in what like a corporate setting would be the optimal manager, a manager who knows nothing about what you do and reviews you as a person and keeps you happy and healthy and safe. Right. right. Do you? I I'm not even sure of what his title is, right? Yeah. Because he's not said. chief of security. Somebody else is chief of security. Their actual direct manager is um, Corbell, right? Right. Milchik is just the the hand of Egan, right? Yeah. And the um, I don't know if you caught this. He's got a tattoo on the back of his hand that shows up under blacklight. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, it's it, when when he's bandaging. Uh, when he uh, when he's bandaging um, Helly's arm, right when it's covered mm -hmm. with blood, he has blacklight to see whether or not there's blood around, right? Oh, and a tattoo and pops there, up, a, and a, a glowing tattoo under blacklight is on the back of his hand. This is one of the shows that I'm sure is going to get so much better when you rewatch it a third, fourth, and fifth I, time. Yeah, I did a rewatch, and Ruth and I caught that. We're like, what is he a construct? Because he's perfect, right? right. Uh, not a hair out of place ever. And he's always smiling, except when he is called on to be angry, right? And we do know that there's another character who, for most of the show, we only know as Gemma. Yep. She also looks perfect. She's the yep. kind of, like, like the HR-hired therapist yes. who's very, like, she's there to help you, but she's also there to report on you. It's kind of freaky. Yep. And we find out that she, as she understands it, she has also been severed. But that she only exists in this state. And she describes herself that she's been alive for like you know, less than 50 hours. Uh, she says, she hours. says at the end 107 hours. And right. eight of them were on a single day where she was called to directly oversee them. Right. And, and that most, was the longest time yeah. she was awake. Yep. So, so this guy might be another person like her. Of course, at the very end, we also find out that as far as we can tell, she looks exactly like Mark's wife. Yes. Who we were told was killed. Right. Who, by the way – it's dropped that she was 
she went to a Lumen-owned hospital. Yes. So yes. all these things tying together. Yeah. But just on the religion point, there is one person who we know does believe, which is Kobol, who's who's yeah. to the innies, this is the person who's in charge of everything. Yes. But we also know that as an Audi, they live next to Mark as an Audi, who Mark, of course, doesn't realize this. Yep. Um, and she literally has a shrine to him. And so I think yes, we're clearly Q. supposed to think yes. that to some extent this religion exists outside. And again, we're getting here more into theory, but like we can talk about the religion side of it. I think I think what we're supposed to think is that the daughter, at least, uh, Heli, that her Audi very much believes in this as well because yes. that that's, that's the you – because know, you have to sort of wonder what's the reason for this. Like it, it can't well, just be for money. But that if there's some sort of religious overtone to why they're willing to let these innies suffer. Right. And they – like we don't know what the ultimate goal of what they do there is. There's different departments that do different things, but they're all deliberately mysterious, right? Right. And running at counter principles. And they they prepare things for big gatherings up top. And they – like – they make art and they place art around the halls for you know the enrichment of the severed. Mm-hmm. There's there's someone who is raising baby goats and that's never explained, right? Yeah. Which I, I will say by the way, and I don't know if this is just a little thing that slipped by the writing, or if it's going to be even more resolved. What we learn from that is that there are several people doing work that, at least as far as we know, does seem falsifiable. Like if yeah. you're supposed to be keeping oh, yeah, care yeah. of baby goats and the baby goats die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your job, so, some jo- some jobs that they have there are not bullshit jobs. Raising goats is a job where you can see the direct consequences of your actions. Um, right. Sorry, I I don't know how much I'm allowed to swear, but I I will just beep you out. It's yeah. fine. There there's some types of jobs that are uh the, the it, 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 that are that are bull- nonsense jobs. Right, yeah. they're nonsense jobs. They do, in the real world they exist. Right, there's all sorts of people that do paper pushy jobs that like. They're they're jobs that exist for purposes that aren't about productivity, that that aren't about producing a tangible thing at the end or even a a good social thing at the end, right? Right. uh, Or where you're so far separated from the actual thing you're – like that you are not able to see any value. And it might be that if we take the highest look, you'll see a tiny sliver of value in a bureaucratic nonsense – but as the person doing the work, you have no tangible sense of what's the value on the Right. Thing. And so it'll be somebody like um, – there. there'll be somebody at a, at a corporate level that wants a particular report to exist. And so they assign this task out to a team, and the manager of that team assigns that to a person. And that's that person's whole job is compiling this report. It takes so much time. They have to pull in all sorts of data. They have to do all this stuff from all these different sources. And they produce this report, and they send it off, and they never see what the consequence is. So they have no feedback on whether or not they did well or poorly. Just this right. report existed. The corporate person gets it, and they, they reviewed it for a little while, and then that that C-level person rotates out for a new C-level, right? They they right. they move they get they get up and outed, or they, they move to a different company. Somebody else comes into the position, and the report continues to be produced, Right. A C-level person asked for this and put no end date on it. And the new C-level person never looks at the report. They don't know what it's for. They think it's for some department underneath them, right? It's obviously an important report. Somebody's spending time on it, but they never review it because they're too busy. They don't know what it's for. They don't need it. And so this report goes into the void. Somebody is spending 40 hours every week to produce nothing. Yeah. Because no one ever looks at this. And that is common in large yeah. companies that you have, you'll have things like this that are, that are, you know, what do you, what would you say you do here? 
right? And so, but the, but then next to them in the same department, they have somebody who is literally just compiling the the quarterly forecast reports, and they need those, right? Right. Or who is doing accounts receivable, collecting money from that's coming in from their from the people that owe the money. They're sitting next to each other. They have the same job title, and right. one of them is doing really productive, useful work for the company that has real real end states, and they're doing something that looks like work, but is not real work. It's nothing. Yeah. And so some of the jobs, and you can't tell from the inside which is which, right? This sea level reads their reports. This one doesn't. The two people next to each other like do the same work. Right. <laughs> and 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 those are going to be those aren't fixed. You know, those are going to change. Like the report yeah. that got ignored for five people, maybe the next person's going to pay, or maybe the next person's going to say, "Hey, I wish we had this report because no one realizes they do mm-hmm. have the report." And, yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's commentary on all that. That, like you said, there's the, the question that gets asked about, like, what do you do all day? It's another part of this that they comment on. And, and at first they do this in a way that seems like it's being sympathetic to the severed because yep. you see Mark at dinner parties, you know, where people ask, well, what yeah. do you do all day? He's like – And he can't answer. Right. And that is something that I really feel because I think that's a – like, I'm someone who's gone through unemployment at various points mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, I was on disability for a while. I'm now in a position where – I'm trying to build a number of consulting type things, so I'm not yep. working for anybody else. At least now I can say, like, here's the tangible things I'm doing. Right. When I was unemployed, I couldn't. And yep. it made me really aware of how much, like, what do I say? How do I – people have been taught that that's how we make small talk is that we all are defined by our jobs in some way. Right, and it's how people and, judge your worth, right? Right. It's like, oh, what do you do? And the worth is judged by, well, A, what, what biases can I make based on the kind of work you do? And also, how interesting is it? Is this something right. I want to talk about? You know, right. and that, like in spy school and stuff like that, you're often taught like one of the best ways to blend in is to have a job that is that makes sense as a job, but that no one's going to want to ask about. Yeah, um, it's, it's unremarkable. You know, I'm an accounts receivable right. person. Nobody yeah, wants I mean, to talk about accounts receivable. Never, ever, there's, ever. There's literally there was a meme that was going around for a long time that was started by an actor who hated talking about being a, a struggling actor. But then got adopted by the sex work community. Uh, and there's a whole song about it that says, you know, when someone asks, I say that I'm an accountant. What do you do? I do what an accountant does. Where do you work? I work where an accountant does. Because mm-hmm. no one's interested and it's right. boring. Um, you know, even though you're married to an accountant who I think her work is quite interesting. But that's yeah. all of the story. Well, but, it, um, but that's also specifically because of where she works. If she was yeah. a, if she was an accountant for a large firm, right, that was just like – all they do is crunch numbers all day for Target or whatever. Nobody cares about Target's accounting department. Right. Like uh, they, they are, they are abstract and boring. But she does work for a nonprofit that's nationwide. Like, yeah. and so she'll talk about the fact that her that her company does actual tangible good work out in the world, and that yeah. she pays tutors to be in schools, right? And yeah. so there's direct consequence to her work as an accountant, as a nonprofit accountant, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and so, but pulling it back, some uh, totally agree with all that. Uh, but there, there again, you know, it's the like, I, I do wonder how many people get to that part in the conversation because again, yeah. it's the like the accountant. Yeah. Um, but to pulling it back to the religion side of things, I think it's also really brilliant in how much this is a commentary, not just on regular work, but I know this is a direction that a lot of Silicon Valley type thing, a lot of tech jobs are going. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as someone who used to live in Madison, both my, my partner and a lot uh, – both of my partners, ironically, although they didn't know each other at the time, uh, but my spouse and my long-distance relationship, but also a number of my friends, all worked for a company called Epic. And yep. Epic has been trying very hard to be the Google of the Midwest. Yep. And 
it's it, it, if you ever use one chart, uh, if you ever use my chart or anything like that, Epic is the company that creates that. If you have and, gone to a hospital in the United States, you are something like ninety percent likely to have interacted with an Epic piece yeah, of software. It, on some it's, they have a, a, a yeah. very strong lock on the technology. It's out, and it's great technology, but it's also like they very intentionally recruit people straight out of college, mm-hmm. pay them a huge amount of money. And then intentionally, like, they, they have food on campus. They have, like, Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons and poetry and religion and all yep. these things that happen on the campus yep. because they want you to never leave the campus. And you are not and, allowed to live too far away from them. They actually will tell you that there's limits on how far you can travel right. to get to work every day. They, they, and during, co- during yeah. COVID, they were the ones who were – they were some of the first to insist people come back to the office and yep. to not allow – because, yeah, and – and when I interviewed for them, as someone who had 15 years of job experience, it felt like a cult. Mm-hmm. And I actually said to, said to someone who was interviewing me, like, I have to say this feels kind of like a cult. What's your response to that? And literally they said, like, quote, word for word, I have to be honest. I bleed epic. <laughs> and it was just like, like – and that's – I thought about that all the time while watching Severance and hearing these stories about people. Who, yep. Yeah, they get paid very well, but they're working 80 or 90 hours a week. I mean, even as I say it, I think it's very hard to have sympathy for it. And I'm not trying to say that I think these people are often very privileged, but also that it's, it's creating this idea of work that now we're saying, okay, well, if we can do this to people who are paying huge amounts of money, why can't we do that with everybody down the line, you know, yeah. who's making far less money? And yeah. it's, the, it's the pizza parties. It's the, the recognition. It's that everything – they want everything to be corporately managed and corporate yep. so that you're never looking for outside validation. Yeah. There's a um, a term that I remember from Neuromancer, which talks about this. So there's salary men in Japan that are the same way, right? right? But the, the those all-in-one cradle-to-grave companies are zaibatsus in Japan. In Japan, yeah. And that is what they want to be. They want to be cradle-to-grave. They, they want you to be a company a company person. From you start the you start the company straight out of college, and you're at that company until you die. There's promotion prospects of the company. There's everything that you need. Like right. there's lots of things that I wish that my company would do. That they kind right. of they kind of are in a similar kind of boat. The guy who works next to me that's trying to retire this year has worked at this company for 35, 38 years now, yeah. and he's he's a company dude, right? He believes in what the company does, and he gets he does the I I don't like I like the company that I work for, but frankly, like I'm not right yeah. I, like in someone so, comes along and offers you a 30% raise for the same work you you're not going to be like oh I can't possibly leave my company right exactly and so the the um but epic like epic the i have a another good friend that works there and i've gone down there and he he made it a big point if he wanted to take us to tour the epic campus which yeah. i mean to be fair it's very impressive but they like they have a a mess hall where you can get all sorts of varieties of different food. You don't have to leave during the course of the day. They don't want people going out for lunch, right? Yeah. They they want you to be to be there and focused on what they're doing all the time, and they they've I, removed all the distractions, right? Because I knew someone who lived very close to there. I used to like say like, well, why aren't there a bunch of restaurants around here? They they very intentionally work with the zoning board to yep. not allow lots of yep. they don't want people going off campus. And anyway, we're getting way too into the epicness of it, but but the, but, the, it but it's it's the 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 company severs people because they want total commitment to the job, right? Right. They want people. The only thing they know, the only thing they care about, is the job, and the only people you meet over the course of the job are the people in your department, 
right? right. So they're, they they comment, they walk into a room with 15 people in it, right? Which you'd consider this to be like a like an adequate assembly line kind of situation, right? And this is – somebody comments, this is more people than I've seen in my entire life. Yeah. Right? Because all they know, the, the only thing they have is the bonds of the people that they have there right around them. And again, another thing that showed it brilliantly, which we have to review it to some extent yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's so central to the point of it, is they are so dedicated to not having people from different parts of the company meet that there's all these like artwork and stuff that makes people think that there were like wars that like they, they think could have been part of the company. That's the thing is weapons. Yeah. Yeah, they they have they have yeah they have these murals of one they they're like we've never like here's a group of people the key card color that they have is the only differentiator between two departments and they have a they have these murals that are the same but one right. of them is one department fighting it, it like it coming in and killing and the other one is the other department coming in and killing just based on the key card yeah. colors and it's wild it, it, you have to question did it happen yeah and. <laughs> And in this brilliant – again, a brilliant metaphor, you have two people from each of these two departments wind up connecting and, and basic. I don't know if I'd say in love, but they basically are developing romantic emotional feelings for each other and have a little yeah. bit of like an intimate touch with each other. <clears throat> yeah. And they're played by John Tuturo and Christopher Walken. And the fact that it's two men is never commented on in the slightest. No, nobody cares. But it's cares. clearly yeah. supposed to be horribly taboo that they do it. But and it's not taboo because they're men. It's taboo because they're from different departments. Exactly. And, and I think it, it wanted to be a wonderful commentary of like – and the same way with the key cards. It's like this is also arbitrary. You yeah. know, the idea that like that, – that it is someone's just deciding like these people should be with these people but not these people. And as a small aside, I just will also say there's big a, a big push in the last like 20 years or so to really push for – when characters are from particular groups, especially minority groups and oppressed groups, that it should be actors from those communities playing yeah. those people. And for the most part, I am very much agreement with that, especially when it comes to queer actors. But as more and more of the actors who were defining masculine figures of my childhood <laughs> play gay – like uh, there's a character – there's an actor in The Last of Us that I'm not yep. going to spoil for people who haven't seen it, but it's incredibly powerful – and again, also seeing John Turturro and Christopher Walken, who were these like pillars of masculinity, um, play not only gay men, but like kind of like adorable. It, it's like your your great uncle who, yeah. you know, they're in their 60s or 70s and they're forming these relationships. And it's yeah. beautiful and romantic. And right. I, 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 so I, just, I love that those actors are willing to do that. And, I, and they play it brilliantly, but also it's just one more beautiful piece of the metaphor of how incredibly arbitrary all these divisions are. Right. And I like. I don't know if Christopher Walken's a pillar of masculinity. Like, the, Christopher Walken is a pillar of doing whatever he wants with no concern for anybody else. That's as an actor. That's also fair. And uh, I will say, I've assumed that John Turturro and Christopher Walken are straight. It's entirely possible I'm wrong on that. Yeah, it's it's none of my concern. I don't care. Yeah. they're they're both phenomenal actors. And well, it, it, as a review point, there's not a like. There's not a single person who drops anything acting-wise in this. No. The, no. the acting a, is – Yeah. There, there are people who are very well-known like those folks and there are people who I've never seen before in my life. And you could tell me that any of these people are going to be in a show and I'd immediately watch it. Like, yeah. It's the, just I, – I, I, My favorite performance might actually be the person who plays Dylan because he – like he's – you can tell he cares 
right? Yeah. That's the other thing, is he does the thing where he puts up a shield of cynicism, and then the only thing that breaks it, the thing that makes him angry, is when he finds out that his Audi has a son and he can't find out the name. Yeah. That he's like, I care so much that this is the only thing. And he, it like, and he makes the argument, that's my son too, right? I'm doing the work to put the food on his plate, right? Wh- yeah, because well, all these questions of who is the Audi, who is the Indian, where are the yeah. lines? And it's yeah. yeah, he was the one who's the most into the corporate parties and stuff like that. And in one of the he's the yeah, he's the performer, right? Yeah. yeah. And in, in one, I think one of those important character growth moments. Like in some ways, I think he has the most growth. Uh, yeah, somewhat. I mean, I agree. a lot of them do, but like everything he's done is he cares about the egg party, and then there's the waffle party. That's the big thing. And we find the waffle party is like, like I said, it's an orgy, quite literally. But he walks away from the orgy party to put himself at risk, so that the other people, like he's not going to meet his son through doing this, but yeah. so that the other innies can can live their Audi life. And yeah. yeah, he and tells he tells them, I got the chance to meet see my Audi's life. It was for twelve seconds, right? Yeah. He answered one question and had, and like his son charged into the room and said, "Daddy," and he went, "Oh," and Milchik said goodbye and turn him back off and he goes i got that you sh- you all yeah. should get the chance to see your audi's lives as well <laughs> so so all let me take it back to the what kind of one the biggest any kind of ethical question that we can really yes. wrestle with and, and there's so much more we can say about the show we can probably start wrapping up but is because again like we talked a lot about who's responsible for what yep so we have this character in heli who we now know that her audi is a monster who's done these mm-hmm. horrible things. And again, I mean, she's the daughter of the head of the religion. And so I may well have a lot of like, not letting her off the hook, but kind of like how much has she been brainwashing all of this? Uh-huh. And is it someone, but like, how okay. complicit is she? Yeah. We know that she is actively aware that her any is suffering in these horrible ways mm-hmm. and she's doing it. We know that she is fully prepared to lie to the general public to get them to be to get them to be go through this process that she knows is horrific and terrible and and makes people want to end their lives. But at the end, we see it is it is literally her own innie who reports her. She like is supposed mm-hmm. to give a speech and she like starts saying like, "Oh, this is also terrible." So what do you do? Does the legal system punish her Audi and just? end the severance and her innie dies? Do you allow her innie to take over and then basically say that your, your innie didn't commit these crimes and so you're basically free to go because you're in, in, if, if we let your innie totally take over then have we killed your Audi? Like is either one of those government executions? He should, like, what in right. the world do you do is with it, this person? It, right, that's the question. Well, like they they retire Christopher Walken, right? So right. he's he's severed and they they take him and they make the point he gets a retirement party. He right. wins. He's been working there for seven years, and he is a, he's Christopher Walken. He's old, and they, they he's retiring. And John Turturro's character, Irving, says, well, what the hell? You're killing him. Right. This, is this an execution? We're celebrating this man dying. And, um, like, Heli, the innie, would probably say, what I want is to not exist. That is the thing that I wanted, Right. Like, it's no hardship to me if you make me not exist and then punish the Audi, right? Right. But that isn't going to be the case for all of them, right? Right. Irving wants to hold on to life. He likes – like, he's a he's a true believer, right? 
in the in the system as the innie even yeah, though you know as the audi yeah. he's this like tortured artist yeah who's constantly painting these things representative of like one of the worst parts of the of the company that we don't really know much about yet yeah well no the question is things things are leaking through right. for him and he he is i think very deliberately trying to break break down the severance the hard way by not sleeping yeah and uh, and then painting the same thing over and over to hammer something into his subconscious, right? Right. Because as an innie, he's now starting to have these hallucinations. Kind of like, not hallucinations, yeah. but kind of like dreams, sort of visiony things. Yeah. Uh, but about – The paintings. About his it, – it, what his innie has experienced these horrible things. His Audi is kind of aware of those and is doing them as paintings. Yes. And now his innie is having – is being affected by his Audi's understandings of what his innings yes. done. I mean, it's this whole cycle. Of- yeah, it is. It is. It is beautiful. And yeah. uh, the the thing is, like, would Irving argue that he should be ended? Would Mark argue that he should be ended? Right. Right. And what about all the people in the other departments? Right. And so, are they the 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 core question that they have is the one that uh, that that Helly's Audi, Helena, has, which is, Helly, you aren't a person. You can't make the decision whether or not to live or die. Right. And uh, I don't know if that's presented to other people. Mark talks about retiring, about getting a yeah. new job. And he doesn't think about it as killing his any because he's never met his any. He doesn't know anything about his any. Yeah. I, I mean, one thing I think is fascinating, Mark is our primary point of view character, mm-hmm. and he has a sister. He has friends. He has his brother-in-law. Who there's a whole hilarious thing about his how his brother-in-law is this pompous buffoon who writes this ridiculous self-help book, but somehow the self-help book gets to the innies and it's the only thing they have, and so it seems like we're like right. It's, it's might... right. It's it is the most trite thing imaginable. Right. It is literally written to be observations that are so trite that you wouldn't even make them. Right. Yeah. And but to them, it's the words of a prophet. Right, it quite they, literally inspires the revolution. Right, and, and it, it, the thing is that it, like the relationships on the outside are all written to be they feel good, right? Yeah. He loves his sister. He's there for her. They, and yeah, and, and where I was going that with though is that that the two other characters who we don't really see their Audi life at all until the very end. Right, one is Dylan, as he said, who yep. has this family, and then Irving seems like he's all alone, but um, Christopher Walken's character Bert. We see that when he's retired, he has a family and yeah. he has a male partner who he's with. Yeah. And, you know, that there's a whole other question that that raises is like, so was Bert cheating on him with this thing that he was going – that yeah. his relationship he had with Irving? Um, they make offhand reference to how someone was severed and then all of a sudden was pregnant. And like they don't yeah. – like, you know, so it's an – like, so it's just – there's all sorts of questions that I think we haven't gotten into in, in season two uh, that I hope we're going to go into in season two and then I hope actually it's going to come out fairly soon. Uh, I might actually hold this recording. If there's – if in like a week or two there's no notice about season two coming, I'm just going to post it. If we do get news of season two coming, I may hold this and then post it like two weeks before season two comes out or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's um, that's very reasonable. We'll see that where that goes. Um but yeah, I, there's just so much to go into here. We're not even getting any of the theories we can have about what all this stuff means. Yeah. Uh, but is there any other kind of last big questions or points you wanted to make before we start to wrap up? The uh, 
the the questions that this raises are basically like it also raises questions of parenthood is the other half mm-hmm. of it right because they they mention that you brought this life into the world and you didn't ask permission well that's literally what having a child is right yeah and so can you view your any as your child as opposed to another you and that's that's a different wild perspective about it right because they're they're young they have they have very little perspective they have you know two years of constant time or whatever and so they and they talk about reintegration well they, they might would you want to merge with your parents right yeah. and i mean in the kind of like young millennial gen z nihilism that makes mm-hmm. so much great content you know one of the memes that's going around a lot now is like what the hell? Twenty three years ago, two people had a good night, and now I have got to pay taxes. What's yep. this about? Right? You know? And like, yeah, it's that's that. Like, um, you know, I, I I remember when I was in a very depressed place. Like, I was mad at my father. Yeah. For like, you know how broken the world is. Why would you inflict another life onto this world? Why would you right. make me have to anti-natalism? Right. Yeah. And I think that's. I'm in a much better place with my depression, but I still hold some of those ideas. You know, and right. like, yeah, like, and I'm. But yeah, but like yeah, we have kids, and there's, yeah. there's no way to ask a kid if they want to consent. Right. Uh, the movie Soul, notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's there is so much that it brings right. up, and it's it, it, and it's not necessarily it says it's not necessarily unethical to bring a life into being, right? Right. I, I would argue that bringing a life into being has to be like morally about neutral, like yeah. round up or round down, it's going to round down to about zero, right? Um, and so bringing them into being without their permission isn't necessarily wrong. The question is, but keeping them in, in being in a position they cannot control, the lack of agency and control when you know that they can consent and don't ask their consent is, I think, where the ethics, like, really the rubber hit, meets the road, right? And that's a place where I wonder if they're going to get into a whole other set of very interesting and dark questions. And I'm... I'm again going to give a content warning now because I'm going to say something fairly controversial about a topic that can be very triggering, self-harm. And I'll yep. be very clear that I'm not in any way encouraging anyone to in any yeah. way do anything to themselves. Yeah. You know, if you're thinking about those things, please, you know, seek help, etc. Put that aside. I think that there is something fundamentally evil about you, – because you're right. People don't get to choose to be alive. Yes. But a world that then makes suicide so fundamentally wrong. To me, life only has meaning if we get to consent to it. And yes. it, it, that I, I, I am very much pro-euthanasia and pro with – you know, not like everyone gets to do it tomorrow. But like that there be for people who just decide like I've gone through all the mental care. I've done all the work I want to do. I'm not sure I want to continue. I think at least morally there should that be should a be considered route. a yeah, yeah. That, and not even a route, but I think that we shouldn't look at that like we look at that person as a failure, whereas we look at that as they quit. They why would you give up? When when in reality, everyone dies eventually. Being able right. to choose the time at which you die isn't a. I again, I believe that's probably morally neutral, right? Yeah. And being able to to make the decision about where the destination will end. Um, the, the journey is more important. The time that you're alive is more important. The consent is more right. important. But the journey does end. There is a destination yeah. at the end of it. The journey, But it, not being able to make decisions about that destination 
is yes i i agree yeah. like, like i'll give a more easy to swallow kind of example of this my mother passed away at the age of 70 from cancer that was basically caused by her smoke the way she smoked and sure. she drank and she ate and you know i i miss her every day it was heartbreaking when she passed away but i was pretty aware at least five or ten years beforehand that she was in essence i don't want to like call it a slow version of self of of unaliving but she she basically made a conscious decision of i could live 25 more years by denying myself all of the things that make my life enjoyable yeah um she chose to trade or, time for pleasure right yeah and like and like i'm not trying there there are lots of ways to eat healthy and enjoy it like the you know, I'm not pro-smoking. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say any of that, but I think that there, there, there was a calculus made of that extending life for the longest period of time possible is not the only valuable goal in deciding how you're going to live your life. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to go there because it's such a different question, but I think you're right that that in some ways you can't not get into that question a little bit with this show. And I'll be curious yeah. where it goes in, in well, season two. Yeah, well, and once again, the thing that they are trading is always time. Whenever yeah. you're severing, you are trading time for something. There's a suggestion that someone is deliberately severed while they're pregnant, right? right? That they have that they have a sever. A, a, they didn't want to go through the hardship of right. of, uh, of and, being. And a woman. Either, this this yeah. is not the one we mentioned earlier. If she became, this is someone yes. who she basically goes through labor severed. Yeah, it, it might be labor, it might be pregnancy. It's unclear. Right. We but, don't know yeah, at what point, but... Yeah, but they, they decide that there's something uncomfortable or unhappy. They decide that they will trade some of their life away, right? Some of yeah. their time. And then at the end, they will get the result that they want, which is a child, right? And so they have yeah. traded time from their life for, a, uh, for pain, right? Right. Uh, and it's the same it's the same calculus right where we talk about time is money and so you trade money to try to do things if you if you have money you can solve most problems right mm -hmm. um that's the that's what we do out in the world right is we trade it, it trade time for money to solve other problems and there this is just being reduced to a raw calculus of trading time directly for the thing you want yeah. which is is that what we want life to be I guess and, is the and, other question. And here's where I think it is science fiction that's best because what, what I love when science fiction does, and this is something my mother taught me watching Star Trek because mm -hmm. I think the original series of Star Trek especially did this so well. All Star Trek has, but especially the original series, is say let's take an issue in our own world and take it to the logical extreme. Yes. And, and push it all the way. And I'll use that to kind of transition into what is I think the one more interesting question that the show has only scratched the surface of but that I really wanted to explore further, which is what is the connection or separation between the mind and the body? Yes, mind-body duality, yep. Yeah, one thing the show is very clear on is that you're creating these two severed minds, but it's not two bodies. Yes. If one body gets sick, they both get sick. If one yep. body gets injured, they both get injured. If one yes. body gets pregnant, they both get pregnant. And yes. to me, that rate, like, you know, what if you're, you're Audi is just living its life and all of a sudden realizes you're starting to get pain in your wrists all the time. You don't know that you're working under conditions that are giving you repetitive stress injuries in your wrists or carpal tunnel. But but you start to, like, you know, workers all the time are complaining about workplace conditions that 
do damage to their bodies? Yes. What if damage is happening to your body, but you don't know it? Yeah. What if you're having these wonderful experiences with your – like, you know, again, we draw, you know, romantic ideas are often very connected to you can only do certain things with your body with certain people. Well, if your body is doing those things, but it's a different mind that, or a different part of your mind that's, that's steering your body, is that infidelity? Is it not? Is it – like, there's just all these great questions. Like, yes. I, I said, well, the mind-body duality – that this is explore that this is ready to explore that it is scratched the surface of that I really hope we go deeper on. Yeah, there's a lot of these a lot of these questions, right? Like the the is is somebody responsible up or down for the decisions of the other half? Yeah, and if they aren't responsible. For the negative consequences, are they? Do they get the positive consequences? Um, a question that I have is: Mark gets promoted, right? right. At the onset, PD like off screen, like the very opening is PD doesn't show up on the on right. the day on the first day that you see, and Mark is surprised, promoted to be head of the department, and he's promoted, right? Does that mean that his Audi gets more money? Right. His hours change, right? Because he has to show up first now. So yeah. uh, do you get a note saying your innie was promoted and now you must show up 45 minutes earlier to do prep at the beginning of the day? Right. What, uh, are, and, and, what, like, and what about, what about yeah. vice versa? Yeah. If the Audi is like, you know what? My Audi is going to have a child. I need a raise. Yeah. Or I need my innie to get maternity care or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You know? And so, like, um, you don't have contact with the outside world um, all the time. Like, this is just normal that you get calls that are urgent. Like, we, we rail against this in the real world when Amazon makes people turn off their phones right. on the warehouse floor. And so you're like, okay, uh, th- if there's an emergency, say that, you know, your your partner gets injured and you need to rush yeah. to their side. Your your child is sick and you need to go pick them up from school, right? The, these are things that happen out in the world. Well, when you're severed, you can't have that, right? Right. Like, is what is what's going to happen? Is Milchik going to come into the room and he's going to say, "Hey, uh, your your any needs you to leave work today early." Uh, like, they they they're fine with sick days, right? They Mark calls in sick one day, right? Right. And everybody's like, "Oh, uh, he was sick." All right, and that's fine. But like, interrupted days is very normal. Right. Yeah. That's just the nature of life and work. Right. Where you might have to leave early for whatever reason. You right. have a doctor's appointment. You have a haircut. You like there's all sorts of things. Yeah, your school play, your kids school play, whatever. Yeah, exactly. You need to leave early. If your only option is day or not day, that's fine. But you can't always yeah. anticipate that you need to take the whole day at the start of the day. I am hoping I don't want to get too far into this yeah. because there's there's just so much that like I I didn't predict anything in the show so I, I don't you know but yeah. I I would love it if a lot of the next season is about the Audis we get to see more of how the outside world works like I want to see Bert's husband and how he feels about all this you know yes. I want to see Dylan's kid like yes. what's that gotta be like you know um anyway yeah so yeah, incredible yeah. show Rob thank you so much for recommending yes it. you're welcome we're gonna have a Rob is a font of science fiction knowledge and so in the bonus content section for Patreons I'm gonna ask Rob about other recommendations that delve into similar questions in the science fiction world uh, definitely sign up to be a patron if you want to hear that it's only a couple of bucks a month and you get access to all sorts of great things um, all that information will be on the website 
uh, or sorry, will be in the show notes, as well as the website, theethicalpanda.com. That's also where you can find all the ways to find us because we love con- we love feedback. We love discussions. This is one that's led to some great conversations. Would love to continue those with people. Let us know what you think. Theethicalpanda.com. Find me on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Uh, but Rob is also – well, R- Rob is sort of a hermit in most parts of the <laughs> internet, but then pops up in various ones. So, Rob, for people who want to have more of the – not the Robert experience, but the Rob <laughs> experience, where can people find that? Um, I do a bunch of stuff right now with Good Luck High Five, which is a magic uh, podcast and vidcast. Uh, we're actually doing – um, depending on how late you've delayed this, uh, this may not be relevant anymore. But we just did a big Oathbreaker play that is gonna that is gonna be up on YouTube. Um, I recorded them for new magic sets. Um, I just do a bunch of things with Megan and Maria. They're really great. Um, I as soon as the Geek Bracket gets kicked kicked back off, um, I'm on an episode of the Geek Bracket whenever because I pre-recorded one of those. So mm-hmm. that, I'm going to be out there on those things. Uh, awesome. Providing some content and being a being a talking head for, for folks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rob. Really appreciate all you've got to say. Thank you for introducing this whole topic to me. And as I said, as a court, Larry, now we're watching Ted Lasso and loving it. <laughs> and I'm going to record a number of things about Ted Lasso and positive mac- masculinity because the show is just it, – it lives up to the high, yeah. which is amazing. Um but, of course, you can find all the stuff about these podcasts on theethicalpanda.com. And most importantly, though, I hope you have a good day. We have spoken. <laughs> Run!